0: Drive by Cinema! Three Nachos
1: and a foaming thermos of fun! Hey, hello and welcome. This is Drive by Cinema. Season 3, episode 52. Must mean it's the end of season 3.
0: A veritable vintage year for movie reviews.
1: Thank you, that's my co host, Paul. This is my co host, Richard. Welcome, one and all. The movie review podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to, no, don't. and then tell you all about it in excruciating detail.
0: <laughs> well, there's honesty if ever it was. Okay, so series 352, last of a great, great harvest. What we're we watching tonight, I guess we'll find out in a bit. But before then, Richard, as usual, <laughs> I guess we have to parlay in here, sachet on in here. From the side stage.
1: He knows the form.
0: With a quick okay. evening
1: review. Listen, what do you want first, Paul? Do you want the good or the bad? Do you do you want just deliver the, just to live the bad. Okay. Two episodes ago, yeah. you mentioned, I think in Colombia, this idea of the devil's breath.
0: Uh, that's what it's called, the devil's breath.
1: Right, okay. Being drugged in a bar by a woman who blows a powder in your face. Look, that's what like the
0: YouTube a, video says. I do like not know of its Bond providence. Of it. I do not know... Of its accuracy, but it is on YouTube and it was made by a TV studio that had broad mass appeal.
1: Well, let's first of all say obviously, date rape and other drugs are a real thing. Yeah. Probably delivered in your drink or possibly in some foodstuffs. Please be aware and take care of yourself. I think, though, the idea that it can be delivered by being blown in your face. That uh, is a, an urban legend, I think. That right. was what my research tells me. Because you wouldn't get the dosage, I don't think. No, you wouldn't, no. Of all but the most volatile and dangerous compounds, which no one would be, want to be holding in their hand and blowing around anyway. Right, OK. What I read was I think they've been using scalopamine. This is partly what they might use during some operations that stop you making memories. As you, that's I something see. you said as well.
0: So it makes you behaviourally, emotionally trusting, compliant, but you don't form memories. So yes. presumably affecting the amygdala, ag- agmin- agmin- that, that part of the brain. that The amygdala. And that Your amygdala. Amygdala. Like <laughs> that part of the brain that forms immediate visceral memory.
1: Okay, so that's the bad out of the way, Paul. Next, the good, which is that last week
0: we got a sponsorship deal.
1: Yay! The, gosh,
0: What's the Bahamas. Going to do like a one video.
1: Is that what you're holding up for? A massive yeah, one, sponsorship One video, deal. yeah. One video. Okay. Actually, this is a quantum error because I cut it out of the edit. Good. Because I wasn't sure about what you said or what I said. So I thought, let's get rid of it. I went and researched it figured it out. Which we was about, right. Okay. We no, well, I think I was wrong, but I oh. think... You were wrong also. <laughs> I, was, I think we were both wrong. We were both wrong. Okay, here I've, he goes. I think that's true. So, we were talking about criticality and how you get enough uranium or plutonium. Yeah, they, oh well, so, yes.
0: I, I was on the edge of reason, the edge of my knowledge, really, for the whole episode, but go on.
1: We were talking about how you build a bomb, and you mentioned possibly thermal effects. Like, could you heat oh, I, I thought,
0: yeah, well, mm. do you know? As I've been drifting off to sleep, this one has cropped up twice in my mind thinking, mm, I think Richard was a little bit dismissive. I was a bit effects. dismissive. But know, that's because... I mean, rest mass is not the same as actual mass, <laughs> mostly to do with local kinetic energy, which we recognise
1: to be heat. Listen, in a spontaneous radioactive emission, you know, normal radioactivity, mm-hmm. heat doesn't affect the rate of decay it's just not an element in oh the in
0: terms of nuclear decay absolutely you're right yeah because yep. i mean heat doesn't reach the nucleus as such does it if you like
1: but in a nuclear bomb or a nuclear reactor we have where you're you're generating fission or fusion events yeah. yeah it isn't the case that it is it's sort of completely it's indifferent not. to temperature it's not no. for fusion you need very high temperatures but we're talking about fission here uh. now fission is different and in a sense, what I said is true. Yes, but it is there, true, yeah. Th- there are thermal effects I'm on too. criticality. fission, too, I didn't really
0: mean that. I was talking more about fusion. But you were probably talking about a fission bomb anyway, so I wasn't listening in the podcast. This might explain why we're kind of at loggerheads on this.
1: <laughs> I looked it up, and there are several interesting potential thermal effects on criticality. There you go. Because, as we mentioned, when we talked about the plutonium bomb,
0: He's going to say, but unfortunately, Paul, it means when it gets colder, it's going to get faster or something like this. Yes,
1: I'm afraid that's so, yeah. Generally speaking.
0: There we go. I knew it, I knew it, because I could see the smile on his face here on the (laughs) webcam.
1: With the exception of one isotope of plutonium, Ah. I think increasing the heat actually increases the amount of critical mass you need. The reason is obvious. When we talked about the plutonium bomb, they were making that work by compressing it to half its volume, increasing Mm. its density which yeah. increases the scattering cross-section. Obviously, collision rate. Right, are going to... Yeah, exactly. If you heat up any metal, normally it expands, and therefore gets profile, less, the word, it yeah. gets less dense when it expands. Of course. So therefore, the sort of criticality kind of goes down by a few percent or something, if you like. So, so you need a bit more mass. Mm-hmm. There's also a question about the thermal energy of the neutrons. But again, you usually need slower neutrons for fission because they need to be captured into the nucleus. Correct. Heating the neut- neutrons up as it will make them help. go faster yeah. is not going to help you. It might actually, again, have the opposite effect, but it's pretty marginal. But in any event, in these bombs, in the case of the plutonium bomb, you're compressing the thing anyway. So changing in volume for temperature is not really a thing, is it? And also, the temperature is very quickly going to get very high, you know, much higher than you might achieve ordinarily. So, very quickly, any idea of what thermal effects you might have on the criticality are just irrelevant, because you've got way too hot already.
0: A very, very apposite and concise explanation of where we both mostly went wrong.
1: Finally, do you think we properly addressed the big controversy about Oppenheimer last week?
0: He beat his his wife. He was racist. (laughs) Uh, what could it be? He was a misogynist. Which what? Which controversy, Richard? Are we about to discover about somebody from the past?
1: No, no. It's simply oh. that people have been saying that perhaps it whitewashes the devastation and destruction. Well, of Well, that's a what
0: nuclear. the Guardian said. But like I say, it teetered between history of the development of the bomb and a biography of Oppenheimer and. That film where the two of them are very intricately connected. It it wasn't the laced intricate connection between those two things. Often it went into biography and often it went away from Oppenheimer and to the general story. I think that scope was very brave. Like I say, as a movie, I don't think you could extend that scope to look at and do it justice to look at the devastation of the nuclear bomb. I don't think you could do. So was it a whitewash? Maybe. Was it intentionally whitewash? No, I don't think it was. What's it to do with constraints and parameters? Filmmaking, yes. I mean, no, I just don't go with the general flow because it can be seen as a whitewash. Therefore, Nolan intended to whitewash something. I just don't go with that modern way of looking at things. Sorry. I still have some logic circuits in my brain.
1: (laughs) No, I think you're right. I also think that in the context of the Second World War, Civilian populations were being bombed since 1940s, weren't they? Yeah. And some of the conventional bombings had extraordinarily devastating impacts on the civilian population. Uh, The
0: the usual response is, oh, well, we knew the war was over. Hitler was about to, I had surrendered, you know, and the Japanese, it was obvious they couldn't fight on. We didn't really know that the Japanese were starving in their cities. We didn't really have any intel coming out there. But in any case, you know, I don't think it was absolutely certain that the war could have been won. On conventional grounds
1: now if only they'd had a way of seeing into the future Paul. indeed maybe the, things would yeah, have gone like a, periscope, a little bit little,
0: differently a little periscope maybe maybe sort of <laughs> evolve from a,
1: a valve radio
0: some sort of thing like that where you could like little, I don't, into a little I don't know maybe, a little, maybe there's some
1: kind of sort of thought experiment we could witness to see, see what that would be you. like
0: yeah it would be nice if we could just like play that out as a movie and see how that would have played out wouldn't it It'd
1: hold nice. on I think I hear some music music
0: approaching like the wildebeest from the distance I was watching a history of the wild west the other day part three yeah part three unfortunately and the idea you know where the townsmen with the sheriff hop onto their horses and chase the outlaws out into scrub and into the canyons, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's true, they did chase them beyond the city limits, but not much further. Because uh-huh. often in the canyons, the outlaws' pals would have hideouts with guns that they're ready to pop people off. And of course, townsmen were often farmers with plough horses that couldn't descend like the wild mustangs that the outlaws rode down the canyons and into the secret valleys and the secret roads that they could escape.
1: Wow, Paul, is this a plot for a western you've got? Cooking? Well, I was thinking we've never
0: actually watched a western, have we? Oh God! So, but I mean, you don't.
1: Oh, you're not a western fan. You give me a western, we'll put it on the list, Paul. But that's not the point. Approaching wildebeest. Approaching wildebeest. Famous, of course, wildebeest in the US. In the US. No.
0: Approach. <laughs> I mean, the idea is, could you hear approaching wildebeest? Well, yes, of course, you could. The thunder. Of the thousands of herding wildebeest, but I was in reference to this documentary. Of course, they were talking about the, the wonderful guerrilla. I mean, essentially, they were saying Indians, but they did use guerrilla tactics, particularly skirmish and hide. But of course, I mean, the typical thing was, you know, Indians in the movies, North American Indians, often put their ear to the ground, don't
1: they? Hmm. That is a sort of trope depicted, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's done by me. The yeah. The one that's not the ear fixed. on the railway line? It puts his hand to the railway and puts his ear on the railway line.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Whereas yeah. when I'm waiting for the train, I just wait for the birds <laughs> to fly up from the trees on the skyline. All right, you don't Which listen to the
1: announcement. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: no, the announcements might not be reliable, Richard. They can cancel trains in four or five minutes to go. The announcement tends to come ten minutes before the arrival of the train.
1: True, but the and birds are never wrong. <laughs> the birds are never wrong. So I don't know. Paul... What the hell movie did we watch this week? It wasn't a West... <laughs> <laughs> we
0: watched Lola. Okay, now, we get in the Lola, a rendition, of you really got me going, but we never get L-O-L-A, Lola, do we?
1: L-O-L-A, Lola. No, we don't, which is a missed opportunity. Music plays quite a terrible part of this film. Yeah, a strange and interesting part. Quite a charming part, really. Because what we've
0: got is we've got everything but the girl going back in time... Um becoming time travellers, is that right? Is it, it was, it, is it not everything but the girl? It looked like everything but the girl.
1: What, the two stars? Oh, Shakespeare's sisters. Shakespeare's sisters. Shakespeare's
0: <laughs> sisters got back in time. And gosh, they, I mean, they haven't aged at all, have they? Well, they got back in time. So
1: This no. is a found footage film from 1941, ah. apparently. Supposedly, in the stately home in Sussex, they find these canisters of film They yeah. develop them and this is what
0: was on them. Wow. Okay. Right, okay. So, is found footage an excuse for... Does that mean low budget?
1: Since the Blair Witch Project... It's a way it through, been, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's no question this is low budget. It's micro-budget kind of territory.
0: Is it micro-budget?
1: Okay. But, you know, it's, it's good they're taking charging care. for it on on YouTube or Prime? It's filmed on film. What? 16mm, 35mm film, isn't it? And it's in black and white as it would be in 1941, I suppose. Yeah. It starts with a woman talking to camera, doing a vlog, effectively. Inventing a vlog in 1941.
0: When we say invent, maybe she's seen vlogs because it will later transpires. She can, Uh like, crib the trends of the future, can't she?
1: Seemingly so. Now, she's talking to a camera, an old-timey film camera, but she's managing to record sound.
0: Because she's done something about the spindle or the spokes or the crank... Of the film thing? She stores the sound in the holes of the magnetic tape or something? What did she say? She explained to her little nephew or
1: something, didn't she? So how is audio stored in movie films?
0: Well, separately, in the 1940s. Surely, yeah, but not on, Not on the camera, you know. I mean, the camera was there for filming. Some sort of sophisticated gramophone system, I imagine, wax system, would be used for recording the sound. But typically, they, they wouldn't record the, the, the stage sound, would they, normally?
1: It, it would all be overdubbed. Yeah, quite they? often, yeah. yeah. The way she describes doing it is how they did it for celluloid for a while. You have a strip on the film which was exposed to a sort of light, and you'd vary the brightness of the light, and it would make a kind of trail or a... Oh, uh, You know, like a waveform actually Pretty much right. like what w- watching is re-recording On the film And then you'd shine a light through it When you were playing the film back And it would reproduce the sound
0: Oh, so what you're saying is The volume Tech of sound topics. would it, it Initiate some sort of shutter system To affect the light going onto the film
1: I guess these days they probably have a magnetic strip When they're still using film And then of course they've got a load of digital formats these days but I, I tried to figure out when that was available to home users, being able to record sound on a cine camera. I think that may have been available in the 60s, possibly. But I know my granddad had a, an old 60mm cine camera that had no sound on it. So they weren't common, certainly. It's actually, though, averted later, isn't it? Because she does explain how she's got this. And we actually see, like, home movies of these two little girls in this old stately home, they show us that these are two clever little girls, don't they? Because they're messing around with cameras and technical bits. They're jolly privileged
0: young children. They call Mummy and Daddy, Mama and Pop, quite noticeably several times through the movie. Like, it's inserted. They live in a stately
1: home, Paul. Yeah,
0: I know. You know, it's the 1930s. Thomasina is the name of one of them. And Martha, or Mars, is, is the other. Yeah, Martha is the other. Okay. Which is the one with the dark-haired Shakespeare sister fringe? That's Thomas... That's Tomasino. Okay. Thomasino.
1: Right. Played by... Emma. Emma Appleton. And Martha is played by Stephanie somebody. But, Martini. Thank you. Stephanie okay. Martini. Or At least Richard's done it so, we? Now, we know Emma Appleton, of course, don't we? Yes. Well, because she was in Famously... Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, she that's actually, right. She was. I, think, same as in, uh, what? <laughs> I believe
1: she was in the first episode of The Witcher Netflix TV series. Whoa. Where she played a kick ass warrior that he has a fight with called Renfri Okay. She was really cool in that. Everyone was impressed by the first episode of The Witcher, okay. which is just winding down. It, I think they've just had the third season very recently.
0: Thomasina is an absolute science whiz, is a hacker. Hacker in the original sense of hacker. She can conjure up machines as other people can conjure up French onion soup. She's wonderful at it, isn't she?
1: And she's made a machine that they call Lola. Lola, L-O-A-L-A. She's basically a cage with a light bulb on the top.
0: Kidding. <laughs> with, some, with some valve radionics going on in there of some kind.
1: And it has a cathode ray tube on Makes the front. Makes sense. Front now, for the first three minutes...
0: For the first three minutes, they've gone to the trouble when they're stacking in the pile of film into the projector, i.e. for us to see. We get kind of burn effects and blur effects.
1: That's actually quite sensitively dumb. And what are they watching on this grainy TV, Paul? They're watching the future, Richard. And who's in the future? Well, all kinds
0: of it. We get lots of newspaper reports, like, you know, montages of titles. and
1: They're seeing David Bowie, Paul.
0: They are see Yeah, David Bowie plays a pivotal role in fighting or rather indicating that fascism didn't didn't succeed in the UK. <laughs> uh, uh, plot spoiler, when David Bowie disappears, we know that Hitler's won.
1: <laughs> apparently this is through the years of nineteen thirty eight to nineteen thirty-nine. They are apparently making money out of it. Presumably by gambling on the horses and watching for the results in advance.
0: Yeah, rather yes. like two movies that we've looked at
1: before
0: I think there's real, there's real tangential tan connections here, isn't there? Between, yes. <laughs> beyond the infinite two minutes, the Japanese, the Japanese movie, one, in, which in really textbook, explored yeah. or had fun with the kind of potential contradictions of all this, and time lapse, which I think was fairly similar, wasn't it? Where it's well, mild? they were
1: definitely gambling with the. They were
0: gambling with it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, they're making a bit of money on the side. They're doing a bit of
1: uh, Rothschilds. Okay. But it's 1939, and they obviously realise from the future that war is unfolding or about to unfold. Oh, right. Okay, I didn't follow that. You mean they had the machine before the start of the war? Yeah. Oh,
0: I thought they were kind of like stately home debutantes layabouts, failed debutantes, kind of like, okay, we know the war's started, it's probably going to be 12 months long, let's make some money looking at the futures of various companies whilst the war's going on, kind of thing. Because they're quite, like, languishy. I, don't, I, I didn't really know if their languishy loose fouls and kind of slowness was because they'd been to the future or because they hadn't had a voice trainer to make them talk like people
1: talked Oh, God, here ago. we go. We're going to have this argument, aren't we, about whether watching on television is the same as going to the future. I mean, they're not going anywhere. They're not travelling to the future. They're just looking at a screen, Paul. They're watching the future on screen. We're all agreed on that, right?
0: Okay, so but they're watching presumably several hours of future TV a day. A day. Oh, I, I have a question. I have mm. a question. All right. Some of it's radio transmissions in the near future, isn't it? Some of it's TV. How do they kind of tune in across those different frequency modulations?
1: With a tuning knob, Paul. They oh, use a no, knob.
0: FM FM tuners exist. Oh my! They can go to the future. Like yes, they can watch Open University in the nineteen seventies and find out. <laughs> Right, OK, that's, that's a fair contradiction. Class. Radios yes.
1: were a thing, Paul, in the 1930s. They knew all about FM radios. FM was not Maybe not, maybe not. Definitely.
0: F- OK, were okay. very <laughs> slow the way. They Listen, talk.
1: I wanted to ask something about them. Because at the start, it's made clear that they're sisters. Yeah. and At the end, it's made clear that they're sisters. But there was a period in the middle where, where I that. Were, were lesbian lovers. That. And they were clearly lesbian lovers, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It
0: happens. It makes you wonder. And it's not really, well, because there's no threat of pregnancy, is there a, if you like, epigenetic or genetic natural program, but to careful what I say here, right? natural <laughs> program against female, female incest, probably not.
1: Right. Okay. So,
0: so female, female sisters assume, are fair game. Female it, listeners write right in, you know, is it is it just normal for you to, to <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to use a phrase like that with your, with, with your female siblings.
1: Do I have a, they have a bath together at one point? Or do I, did I imagine I mean, that? I think that's normal. Okay. Well, it, it is if... It, well, it was, I think. Scarce, I think yeah.
0: It was even 40 years ago. Okay. okay. To okay. bath I wouldn't, with your family sure. members.
1: I'd want to have a bath with somebody else.
0: I know. But, well, <laughs> these days, like, you know, on Facebook, like, gosh. There's a whole thing about the few, with The past wasn't it great. There's a the whole thing about the past it wasn't great. One of the things that... are uh, mushroom showers, you know, mushroom showers at the beach where men would get naked and share a shower together.
1: Mushroom showers? Yeah,
0: like, you know, it's a shower... It's like one central pipe that mushrooms out into several shower heads, and you all stand oh, around okay, a central okay. pillar, and therefore your genitals are facing... In, the, in Faceward, yeah. Whereas in a traditional shower stall, you're all facing a wall, although it's out in the open, like, it's not so much... You're not feet away from other people's pubes, do you know what I mean?
1: Speaking of tan genitals... At the start of the war, they start sending out warnings about bombs falling, don't they? Yeah. So they've heard reports of bombs that have gone off during the Blitz. They know when it's happening. And so before the bomb hits, they send out a warning under the guise of something called the Angel of Portobello.
0: So, just to finish my point. I think it was normal for yeah. people to bath together as family members.
1: OK, and so no erotic thing, need be... don't think it was erotic, be... no. No, OK. Mm. Authorities are quite keen to track down this mysterious angel of Portobello, since it seems to be able to give information about bombs hitting specific targets, which is suspicious, isn't it, during wartime at the best of times?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, rightfully the army are rather concerned about all this, you know. Is it some long mm. German play to make them trust the information and then critically to switch information to false inf- disinformation and then you know launch a massive attack those would be significant and i think legitimate concerns wouldn't they through military intelligence
1: and we see now the log or the records which is somewhat breaking of the whole found footage concept isn't it mm. nonetheless we're seeing the records of a Well soldier- i think
0: we're supposed to have like gone down jamie's magic torch hole into the actual experience rather than
1: right do you not feel okay. like you're
0: going down the slide of found footage into their actual experience.
1: Well, it's very difficult well, to put like the found footage.
0: An endoscope thing. of found footage. And then, <laughs> then we, we end up in the body of their experience.
1: He's explaining that they're using the gas mains to transmit. Now, OK,
0: now, now, I didn't really want to quibble with a low-budget movie about sure. scientific accuracy.
1: OK, OK.
0: Typically, the- I, I understood that transmitter circuits had to be quite small. Because right. all of it will try and transmit frequency, including the copper wires and whatnot. And you only want some parts of it to... You know, you want it to be effective. So if they're going to use the all of the copper in the British or the London gas system <laughs> to transmit a signal, wouldn't that signal be very, very
1: weak? Very smeared out as well, wouldn't it?
0: So a nice idea. I thought it was a really nice inventive idea, but ultimately not based on any real science. I don't
1: Presumably you get a path length from every part of it. Yeah, you get so, huge
0: amounts of interference, wouldn't you?
1: You'd think so, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the soldier goes and observes a young woman who is adjusting a transmitter on a gasometer. He triangulated to s-
0: signal strength and found it was strong near gasworks, yeah?
1: Well, actually, later he says he'd worked it out because he saw that the signal was strongest Stronger. in houses with piped gas.
0: Ah, I like that. I really like that detail. <laughs> I thought that really rang true of how somebody might discover this, even though, you know, the actual transmitting 3 copper is nonsense. But still, that was great, I thought. I I gave it a plus point just for that one line.
1: What, Paul, is a gasometer?
0: I didn't know what to call it because we don't have seen them anymore, so I wrote gasworks. I thought, what do you call those things? And they were the big cylindrical things that rose imperceptibly slowly, slowly, overnight, as the gas filled in. So there were a... Short to mid term storage solution, local storage
1: solution for gas. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Really did, interesting. Did they also effectively like pump the gas in a way as well? Because if pressure, yeah, were, I they, were they held up by the pressure of the gas inside? And yes, then yeah. they come down as the gas so it kind of pushes the gas out as well, doesn't it? Interesting. It
0: was a little bit leaky, weren't they? You could always smell it as you walk past.
1: I think the way that they worked is they had a ring of water around the ah, lower edge, right. and so it dips that, in the I water. I always wondered, like, how did it work? But still, they had seams, because they were telescoping, weren't they? they so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they head. were leaky in some ways, but you said that we don't see them anymore, which I think is true. Why don't we see them anymore? What do they do now? Some large
0: members of our political elite, shall we call it? Yeah. What's What's the word they use these days?
1: He's saying that they produce hot air enough for Heating your no. homes,
0: or establishment? It's called it establishment. not establishment. Political elite. Okay, uh, I think it's more accurate. Decided to stop arguing amongst themselves, left and right, whatever that means. That that yeah, the world was what that a certain kind of liberal economics won and uh, we could trust Russia to supply us with gas. I think is what happened, Richard.
1: So you're saying that because we get gas from Russia. We don't need medium-term storage. I don't and gasometers. know. I really that don't know seem... why
0: they all disappeared, but they did all disappear.
1: Seems like some research is needed. Anyway, in the war, they certainly had them. The soldier catches her, finds her with a bunch of maps of gasometers and a radio, and she gives a series of <laughs> fake names, doesn't she? To start with,
0: that was quite funny. I thought, is this going to be? Was this a comedy? It wasn't, was it?
1: She says she's Eartha Kit Maria yeah. von Trapp. Lady Stardust? Yeah. Who is Lady Stardust?
0: Yeah, it's quite nice, though. So, this is the third guy that they didn't pay for a voice coach for. What do you mean? (laughs) Well, okay, so the first two girls, I mean, they have modern, not multicultural London English, but we might say modern kind of, I don't know how you call it, West London English, where we get you softening. So, instead of saying but, or but, or even but, they say bot. Almost an O sound, but, yeah. Is that not how it... No, absolutely not. No, I mean, use have softened a lot. And what we see is modern, like, you know the kind of London English I'm talking about. Yeah, Okay. Okay. That's the first thing. So so lots of use softening. And then, er, er, lightning. Okay. So if you listen to modern Londoners talk, particularly if they're educated, they won't say service, they'll say service. Yeah, but kind of West Country. They'll, 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 it's, it's to do with a variety of effects. Some of it started off with Blair, you know, and those kind of people trying to make themselves sound a bit more mockney or a bit more kind of approachable. But then it also became a status signal to say, hey, you know, I can talk normal too. And then it became an upper class thing to do this kind of thing. So service instead of service. okay? And they both do this. So either they've watched a lot of 2010 TV on their old CRT, or oh, they didn't get a voice coaching to make these accents authentic because <laughs> when the general comes around or the, the captain or I don't know who it is okay he tries <laughs> to do that kind of pathé thing so obviously they've had some direction to sound like they're from that time but he yes. does it he does it not for not very long only when he's trying to be stiff and starchy when he's first meeting them and then they kind of start behaving with two thousand two thousand ten mannerisms like you know scratching their face when they don't want to say something and Sorry, all that noisy body language that people in the nineteen forties didn't do in the UK. So I thought that was interesting—the body language and the pronunciation and the and the elocution. How they didn't really because tr- like expensive things you have to do to make things look authentic. Yeah, cheap things you can do is voice coach and. and-
1: I'm not sure most people would notice, Paul. It may only um, be you who would I find it really
0: <laughs> annoying. Unfortunately,
1: <laughs> one of the vintage period recording pieces of equipment that we see them use is a wax cylinder recorder. Martha does say later that she invented a sound recording cine camera. I think that's supposed to explain how they do most of the recordings. But we do see them using a wax cylinder recorder. Which I think was standard for the period. Now, the thing about those wax cylinder recorders, and bear in mind that a lot of recordings we get from the era are on this kind of recording equipment. Is to actually make a little needle make a wiggly line on one of those wax cylinders Mm -hmm. takes quite a lot of energy and it's not amplified, it's just like a horn funnel that you speak into. So you've got to kind of shout and enunciate quite clearly for it to make a sound recording that. Hence the cafe voice. Exactly. So I think a lot of the affectation that we may ascribe to people of that era. It's actually down to them trying to make it work on their recording mediums. Yeah. And in everyday life, they doubtless did not speak in that way. Hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, Paul. Maybe they did sound more contemporary at the time. And it's all diff- made on wax cylinders, where they had to shout. <laughs> so, the soldiers decide to help Tom in her work, because they recognise the importance of the intelligence she can provide. Mm-hmm. And she's showing them images of future events, the space race and stuff like that. So the idea is, every morning they're going to tune in to tomorrow's report from the signal station. Yeah, Why And not? Sebastian, that's the soldier who found them, sends the information to his... He can make himself useful, though. He's got a book to
0: check if the actual reports are actually using the right code. That's
1: right, there's a code used
0: at the end. Which makes him indispensable, because the girls obviously can't look that up in the book themselves at the end of each transmission they don't want to get rid of him though they wanted to hang around don't
1: they it's now august 1941 i guess the blitz is in full swing at this point yeah the girls are getting food from this arrangement so obviously rationing was in effect and they'd be quite keen on getting food from the army and they open a can of roast chicken (laughs) Mm -hmm. have you ever opened a can of roast a whole roast chicken bowl I didn't really get that. Was that actually historically correct or not? I assume it must have been, oh, yeah. Right. I mean, presumably the US and Canada were killing chickens and sending them over on ships. Presumably, yeah, right?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, chickens were a lot smaller then, weren't they? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Here we go minute. again. And no, he's going to tell me the chickens were like, a lot smaller. Right, OK.
1: <laughs> they had a completely different accent, didn't they, chickens, in those days? A chicken these days would not understand a chicken from 1940.
0: <laughs> I didn't say that, Richard, did
1: I? <laughs> okay, I think I've been straw-manned here. <laughs> so, they report a German raid, and the information that they give allows them to shoot down an entire German bomber's squadron. Well done! Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, it looks like their I'm information... Why, why did it take two years to, work, to, work, you
1: know, to have this idea? They were having to work clandestinely, weren't they? See. Just sending out the occasional clue Rather than working full scale with the military So
0: in a way it's good that they have been discovered
1: And also they didn't have Sebastian's special code book To tell whether the reports were genuine And they presumably weren't listening to the signal station mm-hmm. the, uh, Prior to that I think at this point They're talking about giving Tom a commission in the army You know, Recognising her contribution to the war and there's a bit of a musical interlude where I think you see Tom, Thomas plays a very unusual instrument. That I didn't recognise. She's playing,
0: what essentially, is a, 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 an early drum machine. I would say, or a sampler kind of thing, or a, <laughs> well, me- a sampler Melatron. Three hundred three, kind of <laughs> delivering some rather exotic and modern beats to 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 her bluesy and jazzy kind of takes on things. So, yeah.
1: now spending all this time with the two girls. Sebastian has fallen in love with Mars.
0: As uh, you would he? He, he,
1: Well, he observes her peeing standing up, doesn't he? Which yeah. is fitting because Sebastian yeah. always pees sitting down.
0: So if you think, think of like, you know, the... I don't know. If you think of like everything but the girl and Shakespeare's sister, Okay, this is why I was constantly reminded these people, like and the kind of pre-girl power they espoused, that might be the kind of thing they do at a party. What, pee standing up for... Pee standing up with a big sort of spangly dri- big dress with Doc Martens kind of thing. And then say something like, Mama and Papa. It just kind of hit home, really. So, but it, it is very nice for a girl to do that, I imagine. Pee up in the... You know, to be posh and to stand in a, in a garden with statues and pee in the bushes and say, well, Mama told me to do this. You know, <laughs> I think it's very attractive, isn't it?
1: They come out with an anachronistic line. I think they crib oh. from the future, right? Fighting for peace is like screwing for virginity. Who said that? Was that John Lennon or something? I don't know. I've never heard it before. George Carlin. There we go, according to the, this quote page.
0: I don't think it's a reasonable analogy, though, is it really? Huh? I'm, I'm not against uh, analogies in arguments. Some people are. But, you yeah, know, I think uh, <laughs> analogies should at least be reasonable. I, I can't really see why there's any connection between those two situations, I have to be honest with you.
1: I think it's mostly a joke, Paul. Oh, okay. George Cullen was a comedian. He's a comedian. All oh, right, okay. Apparently the Luftwaffe have basically been defeated at this point. They're certainly stopping the Blitz. Their plan now is to go after the Kriegsmarine and destroy the German Navy.
0: So Kriegsmarine is actually a real name of something.
1: Yes, it's the German Navy in the war.
0: Is yes. it? I believe right. so, yeah.
1: I didn't realise it was called, that.
0: I-, I thought it was called Das
1: Boot. <laughs> right, Okay. <laughs> You asked a question earlier about why the US cuts off aid. And the answer was a little bit contrived, let's be honest. (sighs) But the idea was. Two things go wrong here.
0: So America cuts aid, but you're going to explain how that happens, yeah?
1: Well, if you'd let me finish, I will do so. Okay, sorry. Okay. Thomas is frustrated that although they are trying to pass information about U boat attacks, the problem is that the U boats never surface. So they can't destroy the U-boats, even though they've been told where they are. They figure out that the reason why U-boats generally surface is that they've hit their target and sunk the ship, and then they know that they can surface and there's no you know, other things to destroy them. So they're safe to surface and celebrate, do whatever they do when a U-boat hits something. The idea is that they're going to let a ship get hit and sink... And then the U-boats will come to the surface and then they can destroy them. Right. It's contrived. I'm not sure it would really work. And in the fiction of this film, for some reason, like all of the U-boats have decided to come to this one like ship and blow it up and right. surface at the same time. So they can destroy all the U-boats, basically. And they do. And they do. But to do so, they've had to allow a US ship ah, to get To sun. get compromised. And the US cuts off aid because they get wind that the British, even though their magic new intelligence machine knew where the U boats were going to strike, it's obvious that they allowed the US ship to get sunk.
0: Okay. So that's what goes wrong. Very soon, the validity of their pre warning, their future shadowings, is compromised because they, he's, their friend has disappeared and they're not checking the codes. Is that right? This is the bit of me where I don't really understand what's going on. You probably fell
1: asleep, didn't you? No. Judging by your, your no. attention in Oppenheimer. <laughs> no, no, no. Look,
0: okay, I was just saying, I got confused here. Okay, now you've explained, there was, really wasn't a reason why America dropped out of the war, apart from they were a bit miffed about something.
1: They were miffed, exactly. Tom and Martha are at this function for all the intelligence chaps and chapesses. Tom is in coattails... Again, real strong Butch Femme vibes going on here, aren't they? It's impossible to overlook. This is where they do a duet. Tommy's on the piano. Martha is singing, Girl, you really got me. You really got me going. You got me so, I don't know why I'm doing that yet, etc. It becomes a sensation in London, that song, doesn't it? It becomes like the theme for their victory over the the Mm. Germans.
0: In this timeline that currently exists, yeah.
1: Martha and Seb get off with one another and Martha takes Seb to go and look at the machine and they tune it into 1973 and she's hoping to see David Bowie. Presumably they tune in all the time to see David Bowie on TV. Mm-hmm. But what they get instead is a, a future down a different leg of a time mm. trouser which is sort of an electropunk fascist called Reginald Watson. <laughs>
0: Who's now, by music? fascist, what we mean is music telling you to behave, yeah, uh, mostly, and then to go and salute in the right direction. Go and
1: watch the hanging at the gallows. Which
0: okay, I get is a particularly British take on how
1: fascism develops, isn't it? Okay. Now, look. Obviously, David Bowie's great. Love Bowie. Yeah. But to be honest with you, I He's quite like. I quite like <laughs> Reginald Watson. <laughs> Well, no, this is the point, okay. The point is, the,
0: the, the reason we, the, we think in Britain we're immune to fascism is because we have a healthy disrespect for what are very common sense laws, okay. So, right. like, I don't not spitting, okay, in people, in a crowd kind of thing. Okay. So, right. yeah. it's this general idea that if we're badly behaved, we can't be fascists, you know, which is very self-complimentary, but also completely illogical. You know, fascism is formed as and when people start to conform to very common sense and valuable social mores. You know, it's just—I mean, it's just not backed up by any evidence around the world, is it? So I, I thought it was particularly interesting that David Bowie is seen as like this beacon holder of of all that is fundamentally democratic in in the rambunctious and unruly British spirit. Yeah weird because I mean he's so sort of image based anyway isn't he
1: but what did you think of the future music Reggie Watson's I actually quite like the music I
0: loved it I loved it and apart, was from, apart from the instruction to go and line up and salute I thought most of his advice in the music go home and make yourself a cup of tea don't cause any <laughs> trouble it's perfectly <laughs> legitimate, and I don't think it leads to you. You know, if you accept that, you don't. You're not therefore programmed to say, "Oh, I'm going to line up in a square and start saluting," to poisonous ideologies. You know, I mean, it's just annoys me this idea that somehow if we're if we're all rude to each other, we won't become fascists. So.
1: Because two thousand people died on the SS Abraham Lincoln sinking, mm. the Americans don't join the war with us now. Uh, now I see why, but it's okay because while. Martha and Sebastian are off bonking somewhere. Somebody's been improving Lola. Is that what's been happening? I don't know about improving, but Lola receives the perfect intel, which Tom has to take down on her own. And she instructs Cockroft, that's Sebastian's (sighs) major boss, I think, to deploy all the troops to To foil an all-out German attack on Southampton. Southampton. But it was a ploy by the Germans. They sent a message out. Obviously, they figured out that everything that gets reported on is it acted upon. It's acted upon. So they clearly sent a false report, and they attack Dover instead. Oh my gosh! You'd think you know it's not it's not that far from Southampton to Dover, is it? You'd think they Maybe. could drive the
0: military vehicles. <laughs> anyway, or just carpet bomb the, the you know the invading the
1: invading troops. But it turns out that Tom had taken this intel down from the radio without the special signature codes. special codes. Critical. So the Germans invade Dover. Fine. And is it a process of years where they take over the UK or
0: what? I didn't, wasn't really sure the timelines involved here.
1: It's going to be a slow process, isn't it? In fact, since World War Two, because obviously in Britain we're obsessed with World War Two for reasons I don't understand, but this film is an example of it, isn't it? <laughs> Ever since World War Two, people have been wargaming the invasion, Operation ah. Line the German invasion of of Britain. Right? By wargaming, I mean you know militaries have got together and planned it out and oh, I seen what would happen.
0: Harry Bell sweets and VW diesel emission scandals. <laughs> it was out how the West was won, wasn't it? But there we go. You don't have to conquer a nation; you just have to make them obese and you know and, 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 and wheezy
1: buy your cars, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, it turns out that actually a German invasion of Britain wouldn't have gone very well, probably.
0: It's very difficult to invade an island full stop. It is, yeah. Admittedly, we don't have a mountain range or a significant one in the middle, so a bit easier, but we're a bit flat.
1: Well, remember, the Germans didn't execute Operation Sea Lion because they didn't get air superiority. Their plan was to destroy the RAF. I think the significance of that is... If the Luftwaffe had superiority over the Channel, they might be able to defend their invasion fleet from the British Navy. But without that, without air cover, the British Navy presumably would have torn into any invasion fleet.
0: Okay, let's say the British Navy didn't I know nothing about this topic, so I'm just going to wing it here. Let's say they yeah. landed 250,000 troops. Sure. It's the South Downs. It's flat. They would just be destroyed. Yeah. In, from the air. But or... Also, Or from cannon, three miles away on a vantage point.
1: Also very difficult to keep supplied. Again, unless you've got very secure routes over the channel. How do you supply the troops? And it's not like Britain was like mountains of food. You know, people were eating canned chicken and chestnuts and stuff. We were on rations, you know. So you just drop all of those troops into the south of England. You're going to have to keep food supplied. Obviously ammunition. And... The British had seen what happened in, in France and they'd taken some lessons from that. So we had actually set up a network of sort of pre-installed resistance fighters, quite apart from sort of standing defences. You know, there were all kinds of like tank trap lines and, you know, booby traps and places where bridges were fortified and stuff like that. Even if, Were there any minefields? I don't, I don't know about minefields in Britain, but I'm sure they would have rolled, rolled them out. If that, so uh, there was a dad's army, in a sense, essence, what you're saying?
0: Well, no, there, was stand, there, was was a, there was a standing army,
1: there was a, was a dad's army. army, but there was also a secret resistance army. Almost like a guerrilla army. So every like town or village had a team of people who'd been selected. Who would swap the signposts around, is that what you're saying? <laughs> they, they would do much worse <laughs> than
0: that. How many schoolboys school of our era had to listen to headmasters say, and we had a plan <laughs> to change the countryside road signs to confuse the Germans as they arrived. I mean, it must be—it must have, you know—is it something that was passed around headmasters? They had to
1: say. Or <laughs> I guess it's something the scouts could do, isn't it? Shimmy but, up a pole Poland. I mean, the real deal was there were hideouts built into woods and you know out of the way places where our resistance fighters would go. And they had a list. They had basically a sealed envelope. And so imagine invasion happens. They have a list of people that they have to assassinate. And that includes the people that recruited them. So that would be the chief of police of the local constabulary. And, you know, the mayor. Oh, so nobody knows.
0: There is no paper trail and there's no human trail to their existence.
1: So job one was to kill a load of British dignitaries who knew who they were.
0: Why didn't the Germans invade? Okay, <laughs> yeah, it could have saved a lot of trouble.
1: Couldn't it? Gosh,
0: right. Well, that's that's thrilling. I was, uh, I mean, the there were some really nice caves that were developed in Wales as a tourist attraction in the late 1800s. I think I don't know which caves they were, somewhere in the north of Wales, and they were requisitioned at the start of the Star war, weren't they, to become munition stores if needed. So uh, the sure. British was serious about you know. About in case of invasion, about you know storing up and hiding away supplies to fight an invasion. So yeah, it would have been interesting. But as we know, islands are not easy to invade. I think the Isle of Wight might have been a better starting point, mind, eh, for the Germans. Why? Well, then you've got your own little island off England. Right. You can use. Uh, well, as, they you know,
1: already had Jersey and Guernsey, didn't? But they? But I mean, they are what? 12, 14 Quite a miles way. away? Quite a way. Yeah, well, they're about as far away as France is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And they had France anyway, didn't they? But I think the other white would have been a more strategic take, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, but they've still got to do a crossing, don't they, to get to the main room from there. So.
0: Or a, a more peninsula. A peninsula is often the better thing to take, isn't it? Because then you can pinch any attempts to retake it.
1: Yeah, but it's easier to defend, isn't it? You've got a Corn narrow ball. front. Cornwall
0: would have been a good thing to take first, I think it's pinnature isn't it at points it kind of gets pretty thin so the front line is reduced for an invading force it's maybe a better option I mean, if you look at taiwan and japan virtually
1: uninvadable, aren't they we shall see hopefully not now our girls get arrested don't they as the germans as the germans close in and they're in sussex after all so
0: now, I thought this was going to be... Sorry to interrupt this. I thought it was going to be a massive twop, twop list. Plot twist! I thought it was going to be a massive plot twist here in that, what's he called? Cunningham, the, the boss, the, the army boss. What's he called? Cockcroft doesn't he? Cockcroft that. was actually a German double agent and had arrested them to cover the fact that he'd leaked their av- advance information to the Germans so they could invade somewhere else. But none of that ever happened in this version of the future.
1: He blames them, doesn't he? Claiming yeah, I thought we were going agents. to get a
0: huge kind of plot twist reveal here. But it didn't happen, did it?
1: Yeah, he in fact, just... so it's, it's not the Germans that arrest them; it's the British, British. because they think that they were treacherous,
0: and it's not because Cockcroft is covered for It's just he's just being officious and pompous. He's blaming
1: them. He's blaming. Yeah, them,
0: really, he's being pompous and, and rolled scholarship about it.
1: As the Germans do arrive in London, Sebastian manages to escape. He slips away with Martha in the confusion, drives out of the city, gets stopped by a German roadblock. Actually, a quite a well-behaved, polite German roadblock, and they wind up in an. Dissident refuge in an old warehouse, like a resistance group, I guess. And on the radio, her
0: nephew Leo. All right. Okay.
1: (laughs) On the radio, we are hearing that Oswald Mosley is now in charge.
0: (laughs) Prime Minister Mosley. Yep. (laughs) And he's very Hitler-esque at this point, isn't he?
1: Thomasina has been arrested. Churchill has Uh, been charged. Sorry, Thomasina has been released by the Germans, who intend to use her science tech skills. For German progress, presumably, mm. we see an interview with her, presumably recorded from Lola in the past of the future or the future of the Don't past. Don't know about something.
0: that. It was nice how Mosley and Church and all that stuff was done with a nice sort of newspaper headline montage.
1: She explained, anyway, how her parents, Martha's parents, had died when she was a girl, so apparently she had to raise Martha. The interview refers to Martha being executed, although. Mather escape, so I don't know why they think that
0: so I mean it was this like an interrogation interview, or was it sixty minutes with barbara
1: past the latter, yeah, because she'd been released as a hero and working for the Germans now,
0: so in that timeline the, daughter, the her friend her sister had actually died, okay right
1: oh, maybe it is in that timeline
0: in that timeline yeah okay because we get the, we get uh, when we get to the fundamental contradiction in this movie is like if. <laughs> Therefore, in the future, we change this timeline while we still seeing the old preserved timeline.
1: Martha resolves to get Tom out of the clutches with the Germans. Seb says, that's crazy, but she's decided she has to. And they sneak to the house in Sussex, where, sadly, Seb is shot by guards, but Martha Mm. manages to escape. Yeah. And then we see Martha singing her own song, which I think you were singing earlier, Remember Tomorrow.
0: Do you remember tomorrow? Yeah. Now, she should have got some help from the guy that is no longer a fascist. Yeah. Which guy? Well, she's now changed her future. She could have gone to a CRT and said to the bloke who writes ditty music, but unfortunately has fascist overtones, presumably it's been purged of those tones, and he could write it for
1: her. Well, we have more flashes well, you... of the catchy fascist electro, don't we? From Reggie. Oh, <laughs> do we? We do at that point, yeah. What's he called? Reggie Watt? Reginald Watson, yeah. Oh. Martha is clearly contemplating an assassination and Hitler, of all people, is on a state visit to see Tom and her marvellous machine. She tunes Lola in for the Fuhrer to see an image of the British and German nuclear bomb. And I think at that point there's an explosion in the next room. And this is a failed assassination attempt. They catch Martha, who's just tried this been foiled
0: I see. Always a bit faster there.
1: Right, okay. It was a little bit rushed, yeah. I think it's a budgetary constraint, perhaps. But they're about to hang her right there in the garden. When Tom, who's snuck off, jumps in a car and she drives over the SS officer who's trying to hang Martha. She rescues Martha, but Tom gets shot herself. herself. Somehow Martha escapes. We don't really see how that happens. She finds a wax cylinder with Tom planning the demonstration for Hitler and ruminating about undoing it all somehow. And so this film that we've been watching is Martha's last broadcast from the future back as a message to Tom so that Tom won't do any of this and none of this that we've seen will happen.
0: Wow. And then we find out later that it doesn't happen because it's either VE Day or VD Day the big crowd photo on the front of the uh, newspaper we've got their two kind of ghostly faces obviously photoshopped into the <laughs> obviously you know,
1: photoshopped but yeah. um, you can tell that that's
0: because there were apparitions appearing from the future in a recreation of the past as it happened <laughs>
1: if you if you
0: like if yeah, you, you like very okay which is a generous thing to say and i am a generous person but okay so the thing is right okay so if the future has now been resolved and all that happened how yeah. do we see it happen? I don't get how that happens.
1: Well, it's, like it's recorded on film, isn't it, which is immune to the future past past future. Obviously, why is it immune to the future past future? It's not. What kind of a question is that, Paul? How can You ask me that question. That makes
0: no sense at all. <laughs> why is necessarily it's not
1: immune? Everything else. Well, that's the fiction of the film. It's okay. Well, but it I, is. I didn't it, like it's, that. Bit. it's a kind of Tenet timeline, though. You what? Has happened, happened. And, you know, it all resolves itself in a loop, doesn't it? And all we've got left now is this little bit of found footage that tells us what happened in an alternate reality. Oh, a,
0: fossil. a fossil of what has actually happened. Okay, well, that okay, you justified it, but they
1: didn't justify it in the film, Richard. Oh. All right. Paul, that is the end of the film. Paul. It was. You've made the film grow on me. Directed by Andrew Legg. His first attempt outing, yeah. You say that, but actually, if oh. you look carefully at his filmography, you will see that a few years ago, I, I thought this was his first full, fe- full feature film. Yeah, but a few years ago, he did a short film, ah. and that was basically the same. The same. This is a theme, isn't it? We see this with a few of our
0: fledgling directors. They'll do a short, and then they'll make a movie out of it. It's what I call the Stone Roses Arctic Monkey conundrum. Yeah. What. Well- <laughs> What is that? Well, you've been playing for five years and you've got 22 songs over five years, right? Because okay. you don't have prodigious songwriting abilities, but you can write songs and you can make them sound very good and you play them off until they get better and better. And then you become famous and suddenly you've got to write 12 songs in a year and you can't do it.
1: Yeah, I see. His previous short from 2009 was called The Chronoscope. Right.
0: It's a nice 13-year hiatus here, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think some, it's basically the same. Some importance. teas
0: do need stewing rather than brewing, you know. Tibetan yak tea, for example.
1: He makes quite prodigious use of archival footage, doesn't he, as well, which he doctors subtly. So when you see Hitler arriving... Oh,
0: I didn't like the, the first few where he's like... He's just used original footage and he's got them saying things that they're not actually saying on the footage. But, of course, <laughs> there are budget constraints to what he can do. But I think Adobe might be able to do that, or maybe some app on TikTok these days you could have
1: a mouth say something different you? Yeah. I mean he's got images real archival footage images where he has replaced the posters people are holding stuff like that doesn't he yeah
0: it's a nice idea I think I was relatively convinced that you know this was a world that we were supposed to be inhabiting I was able to ignore any fourth wall effects I think and just immerse myself in the idea of the movie okay which is more than half-baked but if you're going to state an idea about how future past information communication... I'm not going to say travel because I'm going to be Richard if I do. How future to past commun- <laughs> idea communication works. I think you have to summarise that or justify it in some way within the narrative of the movie. It's an expectation, I think. At least from me.
1: Let's score the acting, Paul.
0: Acting good. I'm going to score it at seven and not say anything more about it.
1: Okay. I liked Thomasina. I liked Emma. Particularly, I'll go eight for acting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Paul, how about plot? Plot. I enjoyed the
0: plot. Like I say, I thought there were some really nice big twists that they could have taken or dead ends they could have taken us down. Like was the army? I don't know what he was. General? Was he? Was he? Was he double agent? You know? Was there some sort of witch and animals going on? And they could have suggested that rather than explored it, and they didn't do. The linearity I thought was a little bit disappointing. But I thought it all you know, as a clothesline, it all tied together quite well and the pegs were in the right place. So I'm gonna give a plot
1: seven point five, Richard. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. Yeah. It gets, uh, no, no. It's I mean, a strong point, I thought the plot. Okay. What category would you like to score it on? I can't say
0: FX, but evocation of Oh, evoking the time, time spirit jumping of the era. Well, no, yeah. evocation of the of one, but evocation of time-jumping technology. Through the use of old valve radios.
1: And <laughs> CRT. Yeah. We don't get to see them using the machine all that much. No,
0: that was the problem I had. We do get a little exposition at the beginning, like, oh, and I did this, and then I turned that dial up, and then, oh, we could travel into the future. And we do get a mention, oh, she's amazing at quantum mechanics. Uh, so we get that, <laughs> and that's it. And I didn't really think it was enough to convince me that it was really, really happening in the story. So that, for me, is a six. No, a five, mm. actually. A five. It's a five.
1: Oh. No, I think it's better than that, but uh, not that much better. I'll go for seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we should do music. Yes! Poem, Why not?
0: It's critical. It was recall. critical, yeah. Oh. We had David Bowie. We had Richard... Re, Reginald... Reginald Watson. Reginald Watson. Reginald Watson sorry. I'm sorry about writing. And then, of course, we had several self-composed ditties. There's an... I don't know who wrote the music, but at one point she's singing Do You Remember Tomorrow, this little ditty, and he says, who's that, Bob Dylan? She says, no, no, it was me. <laughs> so there's an element of self conceit Is saying, yeah, yeah, the music we've written is as good as Bob Dylan's, kind of stuff. I actually thought it was a bit better than Bob Dylan. I'm not a great fan of his. I love the fact that they're trying to put this musical theme in, and the cheekiness of like, tying it all to Bowie. You
1: say you don't know who wrote the music, Ah. fortunately I do because, it's Andrew no I was wondering how on earth I was going to find more music by fascist electro pop star Reginald Watson you found all, it I mean he's a fictional future yeah. he's az Stardust, Z-Stardus isn't he he's in a different leg of a time trouser he's a, a
0: Z-star of David Bowie bowie does. yeah
1: here's the truth Paul the person who wrote the music for this
0: he's playing Reginald Watson
1: no is Neil Hannon from The Divine Comedy. That's why it's good. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I think he chose and arranged the other bits as well because obviously she did an old worldy version of Girl, You Really Got Me, didn't she? Which was really nicely arranged. For music, I'm going to give it an eight. Give me futuristic Oswald Mosey style electro. Okay, so music, yeah, mmm.
0: I I was charmed by all this music that was going on in interspersed. I'm going to give that an 8.5, actually, yeah. Great.
1: So, an overall score for Lola.
0: An overall score for a movie that I thought was, to begin with, laughable. (laughs) I I wasn't really prepared to give it time of day. I stayed with it. Okay, I didn't fall asleep. I was watching it. And, uh, yeah, I stayed with it. It grew on me, actually, to the extent I'm going to score it. It's certainly not laughable. It certainly is passable. It's done this better than other movies of the time-shifting genre that we've looked at. I'm going to score it a seven, Richard. Why the heck not?
1: I think that's a fair score. I'll Mm. do the same. Yeah, it's, it's value for money, isn't it? It couldn't have been that expensive. It does start off shaky, though, doesn't it? Do you not think? I think this director can only go to bigger and better places and... I hope he sticks with it.
0: Yeah, a successful first directorial debut. Okay, oh, first, sorry, directorial debut. Sorry to be tautologist there. No, definitely. You know, for a first outing, I think impressive, particularly as he manages, as many of these uh, first directions do, to kind of eke out whatever he's trying to convey with a very limited budget. Yeah, it's, it's effective and good use, I think, of standard telepathy
1: footage and that kind of thing. So. It's an easy seven. And thank you, listener Andrew, for putting us onto it. Ah, and speaking I mean. of movies we are being put onto, Paul, how are we going to begin season four of Drive-By Cinema? Oh, I don't know. Whose
0: choice is it this week?
1: It's got to be your choice, Paul.
0: Okay, well, I am guessing you're going to present me with three movies. Do you want me to read them out to you?
1: Yeah, read out the <laughs> movies that I have already presented
0: to you. He has actually already presented it. It's not me choosing my own movies. Okay, so here we go. Right. Okay, the first one, when Richard said this, I was like, oh, wow. Mods, action on the beach, fighting rockers. Vesper, which Vesper. I assumed was V-E-S-P-E-R. It's
1: a post-apocalyptic future. Vesper. Don't want to
0: hark on for more than 50 minutes in this, uh, this podcast about pronunciation. But perhaps in another era, it might even pronounced Vesper. Okay, I would have known <laughs> that actually was V-E-S-P-E-R. Okay, which is relevant, I think, to this week, because we've just found out the, the Antarctica is at its meltiest in all time this week. So vague future past time travel, maybe not, but certainly ecological concerns. I don't know what's in this movie. That's the first one. Okay. Sorry, Richard, do you want to say something about it? I've realised that Richard asked no, me to no. introduce it now I've started waffling about it. <laughs> I was
1: waiting for the waffle to end.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Number two. Number two is Chronicle from 2012, which is now 11 years old. Three male high school students make an incredible discovery leading to their developing uncanny powers beyond their understanding. Interesting. Looks quite mainstream-ish. Chronicle. Chronicle. Third, and here it is a bit of a challenge to read my writing, so Richard, jump in and help me. Last and first men.
1: Last and First Men, yeah. Got it right.
0: Okay, Last and First Men, about which I know very little, except it has a tangential connection to the movie today, I think, in terms of time lapse informational transfer.
1: Oh, well, I'm not sure. About okay, about well, I'll, I'll, let's leave it Correct at me next
0: week. Okay, so it's my choice. It is your choice. Whoa. I'm really tempted by all of them, actually.
1: No pressure, but you're starting a new season of Drive-By Cinema.
0: So it's going to be Chronicle... From 2012. Well, let's have a really up to date one.
1: Chronicle. That's your choice. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm oh, not, you just, I'm not you, unhappy. You just um, uh, that will be mildly disappointed. Week's. No, no, no. That's good. Next week's first episode of season four. Seasons are years, apparently for us. But that's how it. That's how it be. I don't make the rules. Until then. <laughs> Until then. <laughs> Thank you for listening for this season of Drive by Cinema. Goodbye. Ciao for now. See you in the next season.
0: Bye.